In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. I'm in the Green Room today with uh, Production Manager Michael O'Connor. Michael's been in the industry for well over 40 years, starting way back to his very first gig when he worked his crew on the papal visit to Ireland in 1979. And since then, from my memory, he's been PM with artists such as Erasure, Alanis Morissette, Oasis for many years, Jake Bogue, The Stone Roses, Ellie Goulding, uh, Stint on Riverdance, and he's been steering the reins with Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds for the last nine years, since 2011 or so. I first met and worked with Michael of Franz Ferdinand towards way back in 2006, and we have shared the PM roles in various acts and uh, events over the years. Uh, Michael, delighted to have you in the green room. Hi, Bob. Good to see you. Michael, I mentioned there, was it your very first gig on the Papal Visit 1979? Yeah, it was. Um, I did a little bit of travelling while I left school. And then I uh, was asked by a friend to go out and help out with some local crew jobs on the Papal Visit. So I went out in, I think it was the beginning of September 79. He was due to come in towards the end of September. And uh, worked for about three weeks on the build. And then... Uh, we were there for six weeks on the loadout, one of the longest loadouts ever. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we we were up in the Phoenix Park for six weeks, and then we moved down to Simmons Court, RDS Simmons Court, and we set up a, all the steel was put into the car park down in Simmons Court, and we had to sort all through it because it had been uh, supplied by different uh, companies. Um, and while we were there, uh, Queen came in to do a show, and we were asked to build a stage for them. So. It was, I think, I think it was one of the first arena, proper arena style gigs in, in, in Ireland at the time. It was, a, it was a really big production, like a very big lighting show. So we were asked to build a stage, which we did. And then we were asked to kind of be there for, to help out our local crew as well. So that was my first rock and roll gig that I ever worked on, November 79. And I'm, I mean, I, I called out some acts there from my memory uh, that I, we've talked about over the years. But, um, you know, I know you, you, weren't you in Supermic in the UK in the lighting company for a long time? That's right. Yeah, I went over to the UK. Uh, initially, it was in 87, I did the Joshua Tree tour uh, on the roofing side of it um, and steel uh, for the European tour. And then I switched the following year in May to working for Super Mic Lighting. I used to do rigging and lampy work. Uh, and I did a lot of work with them. That was Peter Clark ran that company. Some great people came out of Super Mic Lights, absolutely great people. I still talk to them even now, like we all see each other every now and then. Um, and then I was asked to do uh, a tour with Eric Clapton. So that was um, LSD, who were based up in Birmingham. So I started working between Supermic and LSG, flip-flopping between them. Um, that brought me up to about 97. And then I was asked to take on the production role on Erasure. And Maggie Musakitis was the tour manager. Oh, okay. and yeah, that's what the connection was. So Maggie asked me to meet her one day. And uh, I thought she was actually going to offer me the stage manager role. I didn't realize the production manager role because... I was never a person who hung out in a production office. I wasn't that type of person on the crew. You know the way some people hang out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> some, people, some people hang out in the office. Uh, I, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I uh, I uh, <laughs> I did the um, I did the 
erasure tour. Yeah, we went into rehearsals, I think it might have been late March of 97. And then the tour went out in April. And uh, the, the funny thing about that tour, it's a few funny things about it, it was a great tour. Um, my very first show as a production manager was in the NEC in Birmingham, like, because it was an, a UK arena tour. So I, I, I never did like the club circuit, the theatre circuit, nothing. I just went straight into an arena tour. That's um, really in at the deep end. Oh, just a bit, yeah. What, what the great thing was, there was a, a very, very nice promoter rep on the tour who he was travelling with us. And he didn't know it was my first tour during production. So I'd be in the office and he'd come in and say, when would you like to do the security meeting? And I'd say, how about five o'clock? And he'd say, okay, great. He'd walk out. And then I'd write down in a book, security meeting, five o'clock. So I'd get a schedule for <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> As I said, I never hung out in an office. So I didn't really know. I knew, I knew, obviously I knew about a load in it, rigging and audio and lighting and all that side of it. Yeah. I didn't know what, what the production manager actually did in the office, you know. So after three days, he came in and he said, I've just heard this is your first tour. <laughs> I said, yeah, thanks for all the help you've been giving me. <laughs> Unknowingly. You know, when you get to over the years, when you, when you come across uh, your promoter rep, um, I mean, there's some fantastic, very good ones out oh, there. It's, brilliant, yeah. When you see you know, when doing the tour and that name gets forwarded as to who you're going to be working with, you go, oh, yes! <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, they do really, they do so much in advance, you know, they, and on a daily basis and stuff. Yeah, and it's just, um, they know the buildings, particularly if you're touring in a play, an area that you haven't been to before, and they're just, you know, they are familiar with the buildings. Yeah. I find that in South America, you get a good promoter rep over there, they're worth the weight and salt, you know. Promoter rep has to handle, he might have to handle three different tours a week. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's the linchpin between the venue and the different tours, and... You know, if you have a different, if you have a different sort of set of minds on one particular tour than another, I mean, it could be quite difficult being the diplomat in amongst all that. Well, the other thing is when you're touring in America, that you tend, if, you know, if you're kind of a mid-sized tour, you tend not to travel a promoter rep with you. you it's, it's local each day. So almost every day is like setting up a tour in, when you're touring in, in America. There's a, a, a lot more work involved in the advance uh, for shows in, in the States. So, Michael, you're uh, with Noel Gallagher for, I suppose, it, it was o Oasis in the first instance. That's what the uh, connection with Maggie was. Uh, Maggie was the uh, tour manager with Oasis from about 93, I think she was right there at the beginning, God help her. And um, she asked me to do Erasure, uh, and unknown to me, that was actually leading up to seeing whether I could do the, take on the production management role. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer of 97, she asked me, would I do Oasis? They were going out on the uh, Be Here Now tour. So that was uh, when I started working with them. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at it the other day. I, I think I did about 550 shows with them. Wow. Of, of from 97 to 2009. It's a lot, a lot of shows. But then again, a lot of those were cancelled, so you went back and did them again. <laughs> so every, that was the one thing. People, people always look forward to that tour because you knew at the tail end of it you were going to get two or three weeks extra work went back to do the cancelled shows. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I'll say this for them in, in their defence. It wasn't always the band. They, they were a band that just things used to happen to. You know, like you, you get a French truck strike or something like that, which would mean you'd lose dates. And, 
all, all those kind of things. So just the really odd things used to happen when, when that band would go on the road. Sometimes I refer to uh, touring as um, it's like being in the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but the character Jack Nicholson changes on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not far off the mark. <laughs> it can get a bit like that, yeah. yeah. Michael, do you have a favourite part of touring? Um, I like travelling on a bus. I think that's... <laughs> give, me, give me a bus before a plane any day of the week. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and as regarding places to go, uh, South America, uh, Mexico and South America, I like, I like touring down there. Uh, it's, it's improved so much in South America over the last kind of 10, 12 years. It really has come on in leaps and bounds. The audiences are usually great. People are, are really nice. Also, South Korea is a great place to uh, do a show because the audience are uh, absolutely nuts. In fact, they call them the Irish of Asia. That's what the South Koreans are called. <laughs> but, you know, like when you've done a tour of Japan and it's quite polite audiences and then you, you go from that to a couple of days later it's total mayhem you know it's like it's like whoa what was that do you know i'd agree with that because some of the some of the best shows i mean we've been in south america together but some of the best shows um i've certainly been involved with have been in seoul and they've been in south america yeah yeah it's just it's just a really lively place mexico is very good as well Great audiences up there. But we, we did a, a support slot with Noel with uh, U2 on the Joshua Tree Tour in 2017. And uh, like that, we were toing and froing in and out of um, Sao Paulo. For some reason, the flights just kept going in and out of Sao Paulo, no matter where we were going. We got to the point where we knew exactly where the gate was when we'd arrive in. We'd down the, you know, we didn't have to look for it. We just walked straight down and stand there. You know? you know what you say there, the Joshua Tree Tour. So you, I'm just piecing it together there. So you worked on the original Joshua Tree Tour. Yeah, in 87, yeah. And then I went back in 2017. And as far as I can remember, there were just four people now on the, on the one in 2017 who were on the one that I was on in uh, 97. But, you know, it's 30 years. Or 87, sorry, 87, yeah. I'm going to say right away, four people, uh, Joe O'Hurley, Sam O'Sullivan. Yep. Um, give me a clue on the other two. Lighting. Uh, oh, Willie, of course. Yeah. yeah. And AJ. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, 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 AJ. From when you first started, Michael, to now, there's been so many changes, changes in connectivity, you know, things today like social media platforms and how we pass information onto each other these days has changed so much. Yeah, uh, I mean, when I started on the production side, it, it was, we used to use fax, fax machines all the time. Um, and I remember the, in my house, which obviously I'd be advancing from home before the tour would start, and the fax used to click in there at night, and it might be Japan or, or some other person, you know, sending you stuff through the night. And then in the morning, you come down, you'd read, get out the reams of paper and just read all through it. Um, I think email, uh, well, made it easier, but then it kind of created its own problem because so much stuff now is done through email that you don't really need to do to put a show on. I like to send out a call sheet. I usually kind of get a call sheet together for about seven or maybe up to 10 days in advance of, of what we're going to do. And I, I'll send that out to the guys. Uh, I normally email it out as a PDF. Um, years ago, you used to go around and put the uh, call sheets under the door of the uh, hotels. Uh, now, I used to do, always do that myself. I never trusted, never ever trusted the hotel to do it. And you'd have to go around with a ruler 
because a lot of the hotels, the, the door would be really tight to the floor. Yes. So you'd, you'd fold, the, fold the call sheet and get the ruler in and push it in underneath. So you knew that the guys had got it. There was no way that hadn't gone under that door, you know? Even things like changes in hotels these days. I mean, when we would have started way back, it was like, how late is the bar open and how late can we check out? Or, whereas now you... I mean, you have to see the hotel and you have to see photographs. You have to make sure the gym is okay and make sure the gym is big enough for the entourage. It's going to be everybody's in the gym. Everybody's running. Everybody's got different dietary needs now and stuff. So it's changed for the better. It has, yeah. yeah. I mean, people are a little... They're more aware, I think, on the road as well. You're not going to last. If you don't look after yourself, you, you know, it's going to come against you at some point. The one thing about Oasis was, and Noel, they do two on, one off. Occasionally, Noel will do three in a row, but he doesn't like doing it because it's quite a strain on his voice. You might do five shows in a week, but I mean, I've heard of people who did nine in a row. You know, I remember a heavy metal tour years and years ago that did uh, 30, 30 shows in 31 days. Imagine what that was like. Yeah. I, I wasn't on that tour, but I know people who were. Uh, that's just unreal. It's putting artists in dreadful positions. Yeah. yeah. What's your pet hate on tour? Uh, Wingers. <laughs> I think you. I think you. You might have come across a few of those in your day. Uh, funnily enough, usually the, the people who do the most whinging are the ones who actually are least busy. Now they may have an important role on the tour, but they're usually the ones that actually aren't busy. You, you very rarely hear a caterer whinge, you know, or a lampy, or an audio guy. You know, the crew themselves, the ones who actually come in in the morning, early in the morning, to get it all set up and finish the following morning, early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they very rarely complain, but it's the people who have time on their hands who find something to complain about. Not pointing any fingers at any particular people. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular memorable events come to mind? Well, one, I'll tell you one funny one, which I, I doubt many people have ever had to deal with. Noel and Liam had a very big punch-up in Barcelona in 2000. And Noel went up to Paris that night, and Liam followed up the next day, and they passed each other in the lobby. Uh, didn't say anything to each other and just split. And Noel uh, said he wasn't going to tour with Liam that was it, you know, I wasn't doing, and this is back in 2000, uh, but they had a stadium tour booked. And it was kind of pointed out that if he didn't do the stadium tour, he personally could be liable for an awful lot of money. Um, so he had to think about it and he decided he'd, he'd do the weekends, he'd do the stadium shows, but he wouldn't be in the band during the week. So we had to, we had, you know, we sometimes tour an A rig and a B rig, but we had an A band and a B band. Uh, so on the weekend, we'd have Noel in the band. And then tour, touring around Europe during, during the week, we'd have, we wouldn't have Noel in the band. And Gem would move over to take his place. And another, another guitarist came in to take over for Gem. So, so you had this A band and B band. And you had, we, we actually did have an A rig and a B rig as well. So we also had to take that into, into consideration about moving that around and make sure that the right rig was at the right with the right band. You know? <laughs> um, and we just kept going. We, we, we kept going with us. Then it got to the point, we got to Hamburg and then Liam um, lost his voice uh, the night before a show in Hamburg. So we lo- had loaded it in into the sports hall. Remember that little sports hall that used to be there up in Hamburg? Mm. So we loaded it in, into the sports hall. And then we got the call that he wasn't going to be able to do the show. His voice was gone. So basically, you know, if you don't have one of the Gallagher's there, 
well, it's not Oasis, is it? So we had to pull the shelf. The wheels came off. We'd run out. Of, we'd run out of Gallagher's. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that was a really odd one. Uh, and at the end of it, when the tour finished, management, you know, gave everybody a bonus because it was quite an ask for everybody to kind of keep going and keep the show on the road, you know, while 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 all this was going on. You know, you mentioned A and B rigs there, which uh, obviously duplicate rigs, and yeah. it's kind of become the norm since I suppose. 2000, 2001 or whatever, because of the schedules again and the you know back-to-back shows. But when I started with Franz Ferdinand, uh, you were production manager and I was guitar tech. And, That's right, uh, yeah. You had the A, the A and B rig and C rig mastered and you had the whole <laughs> way that puts together. And I mean, you know, I uh, you sat us down and you had all the different color labels and the, the piece count all worked out and what we needed to do. But uh, could this bozo here grasp it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't grasp it, and I could grasp the A and B, but, yeah, then, but the C was the one that used to really. I'd be standing people. on a stage after three shows in or something, and we'd be at a festival, and we'd be splitting up the gear, and I'd be looking at a piece, going, "Now, why is there two colours on that? <laughs> why is there an A plus C ring on that?" And yeah. So anyway, uh, so years later. Uh, it became the norm for every band, and every band is A and B and C rigs now and stuff. But we were on the script, and uh, an absolute gentleman of uh, uh, a man, uh, Matt Tiley, if I, if he's listening here, we had the same scenario where we had A, B, and C rigs, and I again uh, exactly did it as per plan as you taught me all those years ago, and uh, I had it all worked out. And poor Matt was in the same boat as me, trying to <laughs> try to work out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> And in particular, he's in loadout some night, uh, yeah. loadout at some festival with four other bands. And I had, oh God, I had some go at him. And uh, I, I apologised profusely the next day because uh, I remembered back to my time. <laughs> <laughs> so mad if yeah. you're listening, um, you know, again, apologies about the A, B and C rig. That was funny. I remember that Franz Ferdinand one. Yeah. Do, and do you, do you know what was so annoying about it was the agent kept adding dates to it. So the version oh, that you ended up with, with the A, B, and C rig, that yeah. was version eight of the schedule. <laughs> so, so like every time they had a show in, it completely confused, you know, because the stuff was leapfrogging and moving. And I, the final version was version eight. I thought, it would, I thought they'd never, ever stop adding shows. Yeah. Oh, we did some amazing shows in that run, didn't we? we did some yeah, they're a great band, actually. Shows. Great band. Yeah. 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 Really, really good band. When you fly, Isle of Window Seat, uh, long haul, I take an aisle seat. Short haul, I don't mind. I had a, a hip replacement, well, a hip resurfacing in 2008. And after that, when I, whenever I used to fly long haul, I, I'd have to get up and have a little stroll down, up and down the aisle in the course of the flight. So ever since then, I, I've just stayed getting aisle seats. Michael, I know from a story before, I know you were TM at one point on a tour. I'm going to say it was a razor way back. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have uh, thought you'd ever want to be in the TM role. Uh, it's very different. Tell us about it, will you? Yeah, yeah I, I was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was doing that tour with Maggie and uh, she had to go over to do an Oasis show. They were supporting you too in, in I think it's in San Francisco. In, and this is back in 97. So she asked me what I cover for her for, it was about 10 days, I think, in total that, that I was out covering for her. So I said, well, yeah, kind of tell me what to do and I'll, I'll do whatever I can. So we were playing two shows in Austria, one in Hungary, 
one in Slovakia, and then I think we're going up to Warsaw. Anyhow, the shows were going fine, all good, uh, until we got to Bratislava. And it was a Saturday. And when we arrived over, the bus had a problem. And it turned out, it looked like the clutch had gone on the bus. But at that point in Slovakia, there was no dealer for that particular manufacturer. So the bus had to be towed back over to Austria to be repaired. But we still had to go on to Warsaw. Now, thankfully, the promoter was fantastic. So the promoter organized a hotel for the band and crew that night, and also a train to go up from Bratislava to Warsaw. Now, that entailed crossing into Czech Republic and then into Poland. So in, in total, there were going to be four border crossings on the way up. So we were sitting there, those kind of old-fashioned compartments on the train, you know, with the sliding doors, mm. uh, well, the corridor out to one side and then the sliding doors. So we were spread over, I think, three compartments. And at one point I walked in and the band were playing cards with some of the engineers, having a good old card game going. So I just sat in the compartment and Vince Clark was on the other side. And just out of the blue, he just looked up at me and said, so Michael, how long have you been uh, TMing? I said, about six days, <laughs> Vince. <laughs> and the look, the look of absolute utter horror on his face when he realized I'm on a train going up to Warsaw with this guy and this is his first Never week of DMing. Yeah, it's like, what am I doing? You know? his, face, his face was an absolute and utter picture and everybody who was playing the card game stopped and they were just laughing at it, just looking at Vince and laughing. He's like, yeah, good luck. And then I just I stood up and walked out of the compartment. <laughs> Don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> so Michael it's been an absolute blast catching up with you so well overdue great to have you in the green room stay safe and I'll speak to you soon thanks very much Bob In the Green Room sponsored by SOS Global Express proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic